0: One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. So many beliefs about Satan
1: cannot be proven by the Bible. Just because they are generally accepted doesn't mean they are true, and it doesn't mean those beliefs are right. For instance, is Satan's skin red? Does he bear a pitchfork? Does he have a pointed tail? Does he have bat wings? Does he look like a goat? Does he reign in hell? Can he torment you daily? Many questions need to be answered, and I believe once you see the truth, it will shock you, And it will also make you reevaluate everything you've ever believed about Satan. And you'll have a brand new way of looking at this arch enemy of the human race and especially the arch enemy of the church of the living God. This is going to be not only an interesting and intriguing program, but it's going to be an empowering program. And you'll understand why I said that in a few minutes. Now, five of the following points I'm going to make are definitely myths, without a shadow of a doubt. They are myths. Some of the others are questionable and can't really be proven. So let's take the ones that are definitely myths first. Let me define what a myth is. If you were to look it up in a dictionary, a myth is a legendary story or idea that is not based on facts. Instead, myths are unproven and false beliefs, quite often, embraced by various cultural groups that are used. Myths are used to justify behavior and rituals and traditions and cause people to cling to those behaviors rituals, or traditions because of the myth attached to it. It sounds like we really need this episode, and I believe we do. Myth number one, Satan can talk to you and tempt you personally every single day. I disagree wholeheartedly with that. There are over 2 billion professing Christians in the world. And many of those are possessing Christians, those who possess a born-again relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Only God knows exactly how many. But Satan cannot be personally present with every one of them every hour of every day. Otherwise, if that were the case, he would have to be omnipresent, which means everywhere, all the time. And not only that, he would have to be omniscient, because he would have to have the ability to hold a million, 10 million, 20 million conversations at the same time. Impossible. Only God can do that. And so we have attributed to Satan attributes that are far above his actual capabilities. Myth number two, Satan and his subordinate demons cannot read your mind. I believe that's illogical. When you really ponder it, when you really think about it, that is an illogical idea. I've heard people say, don't tell what you're going to do. Don't talk about your vision because as soon as you say it, then Satan can fight against it. No. Thoughts in the spirit realm are just as loud as words spoken in the natural realm. If that wasn't the case, you could never hold, I started to say an intelligent conversation, but no demon is intelligent. You'd have to be utterly ignorant to fight against God. But you could not hold a logical conversation with a demon if they were not able to read your thoughts. They would always be making false and crazy assumptions. For instance, you could be standing in front of the window of a jewelry shop, and you could be thinking about the banana pudding in your refrigerator back home. But the demon that wants to torment you thinks, because you're looking at a diamond bracelet, that you're coveting or desiring that thing, when your mind could be totally somewhere else. And so that spirit speaks into your spirit and says, steal it! And you think, steal my own bowl of banana pudding? That doesn't make a bit of sense. And that would just be one crazy communication of thousands based on false assumptions. No, Satan can read your mind Demons can read your mind, but that doesn't bother me because my mind is saturated with the mind of Christ. And I can think I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I can think he's given me power over all the power of the enemy. I've taken thoughts captive and brought them under obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's torn down strongholds of negative thinking in my mind. So I can battle thought against thought with any demonic power that comes against me. I do not believe Satan comes against me daily and I do not talk to him daily because I believe people who hold conversations with the devil on a daily basis are self-deceived. I have people call me all the time saying, Brother Mike, Pastor Mike, pray for me. The devil's been talking to me all day long. And usually my response is, wow, you're really important, aren't you? And of course, taken aback, they'll say, what do you mean? And I'll say, you mean Satan has left over two billion other people and focused his attention on you all day long? And then I proceed to explain to them the reality that it can only be in one place at one time. Myth number three, Satan has red skin Horns, a pointed tail, the appearance of a goat, and bears a trident like pitchfork. Show me where you find that in the Bible. There's absolutely no description of the devil in the entire Bible. But since the ninth century, he has often been shown in Christian art. So this is artistic license. He's been shown with horns and cloven hoofs and unusually hairy legs like a goat and a tail and often naked and holding a pitchfork-like object. These are all an amalgamated combination of traits from various pagan deities like Pan and Poseidon. So you can't say that he looks that way Because there's no scriptural reference that proves he looks that way. I had an encounter one time with Satan. Actually, twice in my life I've had a personal encounter with Satan. And one time, it was about 3.30 in the morning, I was asleep in bed in Louisville, Kentucky. I remember the place. I remember the home. I was staying in the home of some very dear ministry friends. And I woke up. And there he was standing at the foot of my bed. He did not have red skin. He did not have horns. In fact, he looked very handsome. He had dark, uh, a swarthy complexion, slick back black hair, long black cloak. He was very distinguished looking, dark eyebrows, dark countenance. And his eyes were the thing that gave him away because he looked at me with such intense hatred. It was as if his eyes were communicating, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to ruin you. I'm going to wreck you. My mind spun into a high speed of trying to figure out how to respond to Satan himself standing in front of me. And before I could figure it out, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of the living God came to my rescue. And I felt the Spirit of God rise in me like a gushing geyser of authority. And I heard the sound of my own voice. I never opened my mouth and spoke audibly, but I heard the sound of my own voice rebuking the enemy. And I said, I conquer you, Satan, through the precious blood of Jesus. It is impossible for you to win those thoughts generated from my mind to him. Up until that point, he had this completely arrogant look on his face. But when I mentioned the precious blood of Jesus, he looked at me with horror, absolute terror in his eyes. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit rose up within me in even a more furious, forceful way, like liquid fire. And I heard this out of my own voice a second time say, I conquer you, Satan, through the precious blood of Jesus. It is impossible for you to win. I watched his face, his eyes melt into his cheeks, his cheekbones melt into his neck. His whole face started melting down into the top of his chest. I felt the Spirit of God surge in me even more powerfully, and I spoke it again in thought form. I spoke it again. I conquer you, Satan. Through the precious blood of Jesus, it is impossible for you to win. And I did not coin that phrase. It was the Holy Spirit who used the word impossible. And I want you to remember that it's impossible for Satan to defeat a true, authentic, born again child of the Almighty God who has yielded to the Lordship of Jesus. When I said it the third time, I watched his whole body melt into the background, and he has never been back in that manifest away since. But I found out he looks a lot differently than he's been depicted. In fact, the Bible said he can appear as an angel of light. So he can appear very attractive and very much like some of the righteous angels in heaven. So he's a counterfeiter. He's a deceiver. In fact, that name is given to him. He's called the deceiver who deceives everyone who's ever come into the world. Think of that. What a track record that every human being, every single man and woman born into this world at one point or another, to one degree or another in their lives, has been deceived through satanic influence, through Satan filtering his deceptive ways down through his army of demons. Myth number four, Satan reigns in hell. All I can do is shake my head on that one. Satan reigns in hell. Where do you get that? How many times I've seen Christian plays that depict Satan sitting on a throne surrounded by flames dictating to different demonic hordes where to go, who to tempt, who to try to destroy. No such thing in the Bible. That doesn't line up with the truth. He doesn't live in hell. And if he was in hell, he would be tormented. He would not be ruling and reigning. In fact, I can't find any place in the Bible that says he ever has been in hell or ever will be in hell. And you may disagree with that, but wait till I explain. Let me first camp on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. This tells you what space Satan occupies. This is talking about truly saved sons and daughters of God. And it says, you, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The King James says the children of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So he's the prince, that's the Greek word archon. Of the power, that's the Greek word exousia, which means authority. Of the air, air, A-E-R, is the realm that he's occupying. The prince of the power, of the air. So that signifies symbolically that he's on higher ground. In other words, he's in a superior position of authority. There's a maxim that all armies have been taught through Sun Tzu, who wrote The Art of War. He said, you never attack an enemy on higher ground. And now Satan is depicted as being on, in a sense, higher ground because he's the prince of the power of the air. And the human race is underneath this horrible, dark, oppressive global force of a satanic cloud covering all nations. Who can win such a battle? Well, that same chapter talks about how you and I are seated with Christ in heavenly places, which is superior to the position or the sphere in which Satan dwells. Well, wait a second, it says he's the prince of the power of the air, but you don't see him jumping from one cloud to the next. I've never seen him actually in the atmosphere. So what does that mean? I believe that there are concentric realms. What do I mean by that? There are realms that occupy somewhat the same space, but, well, just like your body. Your body contains a soul and a spirit, and even though I cannot see your spirit and I cannot see your soul, I recognize they occupy approximately the same space as your body. Actually, I believe the spirit and the soul are larger than the body, but they occupy the same space and have the same focal point, your heart of hearts. Well, in like manner, let me explain it to you this way. There are three heavens, We know that because Paul talked about how he was caught up into the third heaven, into paradise. He heard words from God that are not lawful to utter. Someday I'm going to ask Paul, why did you even include that in your letter to the Corinthians? Because I have wondered for years what Paul heard in the third heaven that's not lawful to utter. Anyway, he called the third heaven paradise. So that must be the manifest presence of God. We know the first heaven is most likely the physical heaven, the cosmos. It includes the atmosphere around the earth and the physical universe beyond. Well, what is the second heaven? It must be a realm, a concentric realm, if you would, sandwiched in between the third heaven and the first heaven. It's a realm of great conflict, satanic hordes, are in conflict with Michael and his angels, spiritual warfare raging around the planet. I cannot imagine the third heaven paradise being infiltrated with that kind of warfare. Then it would not really be heaven. It would be a place of tension and misery. And who knows what happens when Michael and his angels war against the devil and his angels. What kind of battles ensue? But I can't imagine that happening in paradise. It would have to happen in the second heaven. So, if Satan is the prince of the power of the air, that must be talking about a realm that is surrounding the globe that is beyond our comprehension, just like infrared and ultraviolet light is there, but we can't see it. In like manner, all the satanic activity is there, but we can't see it. And when it said that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, I believe the word power is a cumulative term, just like you could say the U.S. military. That's a cumulative term. It's bunching a number of divisions together. The U.S. Navy, the U.S. Army, the U.S. Marines, the U.S. Air Force, the Coast Guard, and All the other divisions that have been created, now the Space Force, in order to protect our nation. But it's all the U.S. military, singular, divided up into divisions. Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, when it says he's the prince of the power of the air, I believe that includes many powers and many principalities underneath that supreme power. It's a setup similar to the military. Because in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. But again, that cannot be the third heaven. It's got to be the second heaven. Satan has never been in hell that we know of, But he will be cast into something called the bottomless pit, according to Revelation chapter 20. Read the first few verses. One angel will cast him into the bottomless pit. And yet the word translated bottomless doesn't necessarily mean a pit that absolutely is infinite in depth. It may mean a pit that has no describable or measurable depth to it and he'll be bound there for a thousand years. You may say, well, he's getting out. Well, to use an old adage, it'll be out of the frying pan into the fire for him, because he'll be taken out of what most people believe is Tartarus, a chamber of hell. Not the normal description of Hades, but Tartarus, a chamber of hell, the bottomless pit, and then he'll be cast into the lake of fire, and hell itself will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. Myth number five, Satan was an archangel. You can't prove that either. There's only one angel in the Bible who is called an archangel. Do you know which one it was? Was it Gabriel? No. Is it Michael? Absolutely, yes. In Jude chapter one, verse nine, and I'm going to end with this, it says, yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. I have a question for you right as we close. Why did Satan want Moses' body? Probably two or three possible reasons. Number one, he wanted to discover the location of Moses' body to the children of Israel because they'd just come out of the Egyptian culture, where they were used to the Egyptians deifying their leaders and building huge monuments to them, and they probably would have done the same for Moses. And God didn't want that. God wanted the glory unto himself, rightfully so, for all that he had done in Moses' life. Or maybe, and I don't really believe this, that Satan wanted to possibly inhabit that body, bring it back to life if he could, and then use that body to mislead the children of Israel. Who knows? All I know is that that's the only passage where an archangel is revealed, and his name is Michael. There's one other place in the Bible that mentions an archangel, and that's at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it talks about there will be the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of the archangel as the Lord Jesus Christ comes back again. Well, there's much more I want to go into about myths surrounding Satan, but I believe we've covered enough territory on this episode, and I'm going to go into some very interesting passages next week, including Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 19, Ezekiel 28 verses 12 through 19 that have some intriguing things to say about the beginnings of this accuser of the brethren, this one who is the adversary of all humanity. I believe we've got a lot more to discover, and it's all going to be empowering, so make sure you're with us next week.